Welcome to the Kansas Reflector. I'm reporter Tim Carpenter. The Kansas Chamber annually publishes its policy agenda ahead of the annual session of the Kansas Legislature. And today we're going to dive into issues of taxes, workforce development, legal and regulatory reform, energy policy, education, health care, as well as government efficiency. It's a big agenda, lots of issues, so let's get to it with Alan Cobb, President and CEO of the Kansas Chamber, and Eric Stafford, Vice President of Government Affairs for the Statewide Business Organization. Welcome to you both. So let's start with taxes, big deal. There's there's a lot of money in the Treasury, a couple billion, you know. Uh, when you put a B after it, it's meaningful. Uh, and so I know you've, Chambers talked a lot about being creating a pro-tax, pro-business tax climate. So one of the things on the agenda is an advocacy for a single rate for individual income taxes. Uh, why don't you guys take a crack at explaining why that's an important reform and maybe a little bit details as to how you would see it evolve, like a percentage number and, and how it relates to now. The bill last year is 5.115. Correct. So that's something we pursued again. Lots of states, including blue states, are moving, some rushing to a single rate tax, some have it happening over two, three, four, five years. So it's partly keeping Kansas competitive. There are some compliance issues, meaning it makes it easier. You've got one single rate, mm-hmm. and it is a tax reduction for, for everyone. So then it's single rate, not flat tax, flat tax, because there are still standard deductions, et cetera. Well, you know, it might be a reduction for everyone, but certainly the wealthiest have the largest dollar amount of reduction. That just makes sense. That's math. Right. But but there is the argument like oh we're just you're just towing the line for the fat catters so uh, um, Mr. Stafford do you want to address that Yeah I think that's just totally unfair and and doesn't <laughs> doesn't really have any intellectual strength behind it I mean when you look at the breakdown and percentage of of who pays how much in taxes uh, it's really when you get over sixty thousand um, dollars they're paying the bulk of taxes by far. Um, And so, again, for compliance, going to a single rate, uh, it benefits everybody. Um, Having an increased standard deduction, which the legislature did a couple years ago, uh, is is another good way to help reduce the tax burden for individuals. But just having a single lower rate, uh, ideally in our our world, if we can get to a 4% rate on individual income taxes and corporate income taxes, that would put us in a very, very competitive position. Nebraska just went through last session and and reduced theirs to, I think, 3.99%. Colorado is at 4.15 or so. So we are the highest uh, income tax in the region. Uh, Missouri also. Where, where is ours? If, if there's a two, is there two brackets right now? Two on the yeah. You're paying. I can't remember off the top of my head exactly. It's you know three and a half percent on the first thirty thousand or so married filing jointly, and then it goes up to five seven. So um, it going to five one five single rate. Uh, it will be a net net. The crackback on that would be. You know, potentially you're you're denying the state revenue. Okay, the balanced budget is a requirement. Uh, Kansas tried to essentially eliminate these in, the income tax in the past, and that didn't turn out very well because they didn't reduce spending, uh, perhaps, or the uh, the tax cuts didn't produce a kind of revenue growth through supply side economics that people might have hoped for. So. We lower this to four percent. Is that going to cause budget problems? Shouldn't. I mean, that's the other equation that we have part of our agenda. We've got to look at uh, the, the budget side, and that's been a challenge for Republicans, Democrats, etc. But I, I do think uh, I see the opposition to the single rate. That let's not go back to the brownback experiment. That is such lazy intellectual, and the governor says it. 
And oh yeah, she, she ran two campaigns talking about Go Governor Brownback, like uh, the long ago governor. Uh, 5.15 is just a little bit different <clears throat> than zero. So mm -hmm. that's it's not it's not even an apples to oranges. It's something. Yeah, that. and and what's what's the right size of government? What how much money does government need? Um, nobody can answer that question. It's just more. Well, Mr. Stafford, don't we want the ambulance to show up and the the police to come and we're in danger and all that? Those are funded at the local level, right? Uh huh. Right. Well, the legislature's trying to other than capers. control the capacity of local government to to impose tax increases too. But the state would have a role in you know state law enforcement and so forth. I'm just saying sure. essential services. Uh, yeah. You know, you guys aren't. You, it, it would be great to have to pay lower taxes, but I also value basic government services sure. too. So, so Mr. Cobb, what, yeah, what what do we value out of government? What do we want out of government? We don't really have those intellectual conversations. But if you look at the states that have lower taxes, mm -hmm. they spend less. Mm -hmm. They spend less, and it doesn't matter whether it's a state like South Dakota which doesn't have an income tax, New Hampshire doesn't have an income tax, and then uh, Texas and Florida are maybe a little outliers because of climate or other reasons, but what do they have in common is they don't spend as much as we do per, per, uh, per resident, and is the quality of life worse in Texas than Kansas? Or well, I think there's plenty of people that say quality of life in Kansas is better than Texas well, and Florida. Water, we're barely gaining any population and people are streaming into Texas and Florida. I'm not saying those people in Kansas now. are right. I'm just <laughs> yeah. saying a lot of people oh, we say have a good quality of life. All we're right, so absolutely. on your agenda, <clears throat> there's workforce development. There's a lot of issues within that. Uh, but Mr. Cobb, why don't you address the, the idea that uh, the state needs policies to make child care more accessible and affordable. How, how would we go about doing that? Well, that's another tough one, but one thing that we agree with what the governor did, we think she should go further, is Kansas has some of the highest or the lowest ratios in the country as far as number of child care workers per, per child, whether it's toddler, there's different numbers for, for toddlers, for infants, for folks above toddler. And I, I think uh, we pursued a bill last year and have had many conversations with Melissa Rooker and others that there seemed to be general agreement among Republicans and Democrats to to change those ratios, and then the, the governor, well, the governor and, and uh, the agencies have, in fact, proposed those regulations to reduce those those ratios. So that's one way to do it. And those, mm -hmm. Yeah, and those are moving through the process. And I think, uh, Alan lightly touched on it, is that we're, in addition to the ratios, it's just we have a lot of heavy regulation. And a lot of this is through regulation. Well, why does an agency have that much authority, which is the purpose behind the bill last year, was to put a lot of it in statute. And there's an agree to disagree but between the... Uh, children's cabinet and the governor's office um, and, and folks who are advocating for stronger uh, statutory <laughs> talking about regulation provisions. of maybe the number of teachers in a child care How facility many times versus you brush your teeth the number and, of kids yes all, I mean everything everything the ratios and, and rules and, and you know hmm. we're talking to one child care provider they said if, it, if we went through the step-by-step -step process required by regulation we'd be changing diapers eight hours a day so, no 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 oh, <clears throat> Eric so, so connect the dots between child care and how it might help the business community well if, uh, our CEO poll we've asked the last few years and, and it's I think bipartisan agreement that lack of access to child care hampers ability for individuals to work, right? Because uh, somebody has to stay home with their child if they don't have a grandparent or, or somebody else in their family to be able to, to watch the children. So uh, it's it's a workforce issue of, mm -hmm. of being able to manage, you know, where you 
what you do with your kids before they go into school. Yeah, childcare was probably a problem before COVID made it worse and places went out of business. Another bit of your workforce development agenda <clears throat> involves uh, K-12 public schools. And I, and I, think, um, I, I think the idea is you, you would be willing to transfer some of the public school funding to private schools uh, but you're also concerned about having a quality workforce in those educational environments. So, why don't you, uh, Mr. Cobb, why don't, you hit, why don't you hit on that point? Sure, we're, we're all of the above, whether it's public school, home school, private school, and some of the education attainments looking at test scores seem to be dropping. Kansas isn't alone, that's across the country. And, that, and there are a number of things that I think the state's begun to address, like work-based learning, how you prepare kids for a career. I know there's a debate where oh, some folks with their test scores declining, oh, test scores don't matter, but look at all these certificates we're getting. Well, it all matters. I mean, if we're having more career certificates from high school students, that is a good thing, but declining math and reading scores is not a good thing. Yeah. And at sometimes it almost is alarming where I think 20% of Kansas high school grad, graduates are considered prepared for academic higher ed. And obviously a lot of the technical higher ed is still very difficult. If you can't read and do math, you're not going to be a very successful manufacturing employee. <clears throat> I will say that Governor Brownback was part of the impetus behind investing state resources yep. into technical education in high schools. Mm -hmm. And that program has been a massive success. It's Correct. grown and grown and grown. It could use more money. Because uh, I think the, the interest is there among young people in, in terms of exploring those occupational possibilities. Uh, but, you know, you, you talked about regulation. There's a lot of regulation in public schools, but I think some of these private schools are essentially unregulated in a sense that the, the state can give them hundreds of millions of dollars, but not, not a lot of strings attached, and that, that might be a concern. I would, I would make the argument of whose money is it my money or from the taxpayers perspective it's Kansas is taxpayers Kansas collectively money, right but if, if <clears throat> there is a better opportunity or better uh, perceived value from a family to choose where their child goes to school again whether it's a different public school from the district that they live in or another private school or home school why is it wrong to let the parents choose what what institution provides the better outcome for their child and, and isn't competition a good thing? <clears throat> Ultimately, at the end of the day, competition works in every facet of American life. Yeah, if it's a level playing field, I suppose so. That would be nice. But I think well, public schools are held to different standards than well, private schools. No, I, I mean, you have private schools that have accreditation requirements, and mm -hmm. ultimately it'd be the parent deciding what's best for their child. Uh, private schools aren't going to be the best for every child, nor is public school, nor is homeschool. And I can't. I'm glad I didn't homeschool my I'm, kids. I'm going to try not to get way <laughs> off into the wilderness here, but... When you say parents have make the best choices or in the best position to decide the educational future of their kids, what about in other areas of their private life? We'll say uh, parents that believe their their child should transition uh, before eighteen. What about that? Do you do you shall yeah, shall we let the parents dive into that, uh, or should we let the state decide that? I think that's totally a fundamentally different issue. You're talking about the health. Oh, parental life. control. Yeah, health and well-being of a, of a child rather than their educational attainment. Okay. I, like I say, it's in the weeds. But it is a, a healthcare-related thing, so there's a transition for you. So Kansas Chamber is opposed to expansion of Medicaid in Kansas to, you know, something like 150,000 low-income people. A lot of them are working. Um, some of them already have health insurance, but this would be a program under which the federal government pays 90% of that. 
and the state pays 10. So if you're just looking at it from a business perspective, I don't know, might be a good deal for Kansas. A uh, bunch of states, all the states surrounding Kansas have expanded Medicaid, but why is the chamber against this? Alan? So it's the, just a reminder of the, the cliche, oh, spend money to make money. Is that how it works? There is a cost, it's not free. <clears throat> And but why would 40 states take the money and 10 not, Kansas being among them? Well, Aren't we being silly? No, I think we've made the better fiscal argument. You look at the cost overruns that have, in some states have been astronomical, and then you have a challenge of the number of Medicaid providers. We already have folks that are eligible for Medicaid that are not part of Medicaid, and you expand the universe, you're going to push folks who are more, I'd say more deserving than the current criteria they're not gonna be able to, to see their providers as often, and maybe not at all, because a lot of providers don't, don't like taking Medicaid uh, patients, and if you put more folks into the system, where, where do the existing folks go? I also think, too, that half of the population that is eligible for Medicaid expansion already have private insurance in the state of Kansas. Why would it be best for those individuals to be removed from their private insurance? Are, are we advocating that government healthcare is better than private insurance? Our perspective would be no that the private market solutions would be a better alternative than you know, everybody trying to expand <laughs> eligibility for a program that nobody from the provider community to the patient community are really happy with. So what, what alternatives can we come up with to, to counter Medicaid expansion? We're not saying that we don't want to address the needs that are out there, but what can we come up with from a private market solution rather than a government market yeah, solution? Private, private market would be great if actually somebody in the majority party in the legislature was proposing some sort of private market reform that was meaningful to the people that work two part-time jobs but can't afford health insurance and end up not getting health care. They're the working poor, and but there's there doesn't seem to be, we'll just say, partisan Republican advocacy for the welfare of those individuals. Well, I think there are, I guess, a couple of things. The other thing that's not discussed much is those a lot of those individuals that might be eligible for Medicaid expanded, they're eligible for an exchange product and with tax credits, et cetera, it is much more fiscally responsible for both those individuals and for the state. We're talking about $50, $75 a month that can those folks afford it? Yes, they can. Through the Affordable Care Act. Correct, yes. through the exchange. All right. And that's not discussed much. And I'll go back to, uh, I think a, a third of the uninsured in Kansas are today eligible for Medicaid, but for whatever reason, they haven't signed up or they haven't been approached. And why not spend some time and effort and money getting the folks who are already eligible to be part of the program? Let's skip to legal reforms that the Kansas Chamber would like to see. Um, <clears throat> you know, this gets a little tricky, but uh, one of the proposals would be to require the Attorney General of Kansas to have approval when a city or county government was contemplating the hiring of outside attorneys to be part of class action litigation. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> Eric, why don't you explain the genesis of that idea and why it might be a good idea? Yeah, it started with the opioid crisis um, within the last few years. And, and the reason that issue came about was there, there are other factors at play. You've, you're seeing cities sign up with um, plaintiff's firms, no conting, you know, contingency fee arrangements that they'll get a percentage of, of any, any award that's, that's received. Uh, for nuisance claims, you know, City of St. Louis was suing auto manufacturers for their cars not being built well enough to protect auto thefts, and so the resources being spent by those cities. But anyway, going back to the opioid issue, when there were cities signing up with these law firms when the Attorney General's office was trying to reach a settlement, like the tobacco settlement, and those individualized efforts by city by city 
could could have hampered and so that's what led that to so it's a little bit of chaotic being city county and state trying to all kind of glom into the same into the same issue legal yes. link but <clears throat> that sounds reasonable but what if the attorney general is of a certain political uh, perspective and just doesn't want cities or counties involved at all because of ideology would that be fair I think that the effort, if it's going to be a statewide settlement, and that's the, the issue hasn't been addressed for a couple years now, but when, when it was around, when we did have legislation on a specific issue, uh, there was an effort to try to work out an agreement with the cities and the counties uh, to basically, you know, at least notify the attorney general first before you're going to sign on to, and, and they oppose that because they, you know, it's local control, like like they, they typically like to, to have as much control as possible. Understandable, um, but um, you know, the, the devil's in the details that we were trying to get worked and, out. Yeah, but, I think that opioid crisis is pretty unique. Is that if uh, city of McPherson, where do they have? better lawyers than the city of Fort Sky, but the problem is the same for all this, uh, the constituents as far as opioid addiction. I think it's in some ways just an easier con uh, consolidation and makes it easier to actually be successful. Yeah, I can see, yeah, that's what the advantage of class actions anyway is everybody gets together and you do this one. We've got 600 cities in Kansas now, granted all cities in 105 counties, that's an awful lot of <clears throat> Uh, confusion It'd be a legal mess. There's yeah. another part of the legal system reform package here, uh, allow admissibility of evidence of seatbelt use in accident cases. I would think, good Lord, isn't it already part of the uh, consideration? You would think. It's not. <clears throat> Juries are not allowed to be made aware if you're going in and you're suing somebody for, you know, they hit you and caused $7 million worth of, you know, economic <laughs> loss, damages, whatever, <laughs> but had you been wearing your seatbelt, it would have been minor injuries. Um, you know, we feel like that's important, but it's it's barred from being. Uh, There's a seatbelt law in Kansas. Yeah, there is. There is. You're supposed to wear your seatbelt, but juries can't be made aware, which could inflate the awards. Uh, yeah, uh, especially huh. against certain. Why is that so hard to get passed? Uh, tort reform can be difficult. Uh, like who opposes to, that? I think there's some folks who look at it as a personal liberty issue. Well, okay, you don't, oh, have, you don't have to. People don't want to wear the seatbelt. You, yeah. <clears throat> you don't have to wear your seatbelt, but yet is that, isn't that a fair part of comparative negligence on, yeah. on, on damages? Yeah, you go years back when Kansas came up with the seatbelt law. That was that took years. Yeah. Oh, and it was uh, and, to make it a primary <clears throat> offense. That was very... Uh, or you could get pulled over for not wearing it. That was very complicated. Listen to a lot of hostile commentary from legislators <laughs> who didn't want to wear a, a seatbelt. And that was probably wearing a lap belt, which all that does in a wreck is smash your face against the dashboard or mm -hmm. steering wheel. Yeah. You know, the Free shoulder harnesses are really what it's about. Yeah. Okay. Uh, human resources, another part of your yeah. agenda. Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned criminal justice reform, and of course, that's a good area to get into, but. How might it relate to business, and what what are you looking for there? Um, really, it's again we, we we keep kind of going back to workforce. Um, it's a workforce issue, and uh, you know it's just really of the mindset that you know if you the more you criminalize, the more you are going to hurt the ability for somebody to earn over their lifetime. And so it's looking at the fairness, you know, switch to fines versus criminalization and incarceration. Um, so we're not necessarily leading any specific initiative, but we're supportive of. Uh, we were supportive of the suspended driver's license issue that Representative Finney and Senator Faust Godot have been working on for the last five to seven years. Um, and so it's those types of initiatives. So part that, of it might be if you're filling out an application for a job, you might have to check a box if I've been convicted of a felony. It could have been 35 years ago. 
and I've had a clean record since then. That yeah. would be damaging yeah, to somebody we trying to, to apply. We don't want a state mandate to take the businesses right away. There are some businesses that have chone, chosen to say, hey, we're not going to... They remove that box. You, yeah, they're taking that off so their you application. Would, okay. But we just don't want the state to say what businesses can or can't do. Um, right. I would say on HR, this year there will be a comprehensive work comp bill uh, that has huh. been negotiated between business and labor. Uh, those details are and negotiated like by you guys. No, by the attorneys on both sides. Okay. Uh, there's a team of attorneys on both sides, and thought you're flexing your muscle. Work comp. <laughs> I mean, I thought work comp in Kansas. For those listening, I'm not flexing muscles. Work comp benefits <laughs> were kind of mediocre in Kansas compared uh, to other states. There will be significant increases in the caps uh, in the bill coming this year. But you would have a non-economic cap. No, that's separate. That's okay. That's different from workers' compensation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the non-economic caps. We'd love to get. Oh, you're right. Caps I, I'm confusing two issues. All right. Very yeah, good. No, the, the work comp caps. Yeah, it is. It is easy to do. The work comp caps are significantly being uh, increased from whether it's the death benefits or even the permanent total disability, which is somebody that has a permanent injury. They lose an arm or they uh -huh. lose a leg, um, something like that, that they can no longer perform the duties. Those caps are, are uh, going to be significantly increased going into a bill this year. So hopefully our message to those listening, legislators, leadership, keep the bill clean and uh, get it through to the governor. ASAP. Yeah, good luck with that. Uh, Alan, <laughs> there's immigration reforms on here, and the chamber makes the point of saying Congress at the federal level should really be addressing immigration reform. They talk a lot about it, but they just talk and talk and talk, and they don't really tackle this this very, it's a very complex issue, <clears throat> uh, but they don't really address it. But the notion of the chamber is if, if the feds aren't going to do it, maybe they should allow the states to implement their own guest worker programs. And that, that's part of workforce, but that's part of reality too. Sure. You want to hear the sucking sound of an economy, go to Southwest Kansas and just with a helicopter lift the immigrant labor out of that zone and uh, it would be catastrophic, correct? No question. Yeah. So why this guest worker thing? Another idea that seems reasonable but can't get passed? Goodness. It's, it's it, on both sides, whatever you want to look at, whether state or federal, it's, it's almost like both sides use it as a political cudgel. And I think one thing that we can all agree upon is the crisis at the border, which is not a workforce issue. It's a hum humanitarian crisis, and it is a security crisis. And that, that but having a state specific guest work program. I trust Kansans. We're, we put something together that, that addresses the workforce need. They're qualified. There's not criminals. There's not safety issues. And, and it, although the focus a lot of times is on Southwest Kansas and mostly Hispanic labor, it's all over the state. Sure, sure. I can talk about anecdotes of a software company in Lawrence. They had someone from Ireland that they were getting a delay in getting their visa renewed. Mm -hmm. They had to go back to Ireland for six months. <laughs> and then, and that they, is ridiculous. They finally got through <laughs> Uh, I finally got three more able to come back. Hopefully the uh, Kansas model, that would be more efficient. Um, all right. Uh, we we <clears throat> sort of touched about city and county governments going rogue, but in regulatory fairs, um, there's, there's a, the chamber has been an advocate for um, opposition to city and county governments creating a patchwork of compliance rules. And, sure. and that has come into the foreground in terms of, um, you know, like the plastic grocery bags that, or for that you put your carryout food in, or you go to the grocery store, and uh, there's been some people that think those are an environmental hazard and want to ban those entirely. And there's sort of a movement in some of the grocery store chains to do that on their own. But why would you oppose something that would seem beneficial to the environment, really an unnecessary convenience to consumers? They can just bring a satchel, right? 
Um, I think it's a fake environmental argument, and mm. even Greenpeace acknowledged in one of their reports last year that trying to ban plastic goods, it's a losing battle. They're too ingrained in our society. I mean, okay, you, I, I saw somebody on Twitter last year, or X, whatever it's called now, yeah. that, that said, okay, so you're going to ban my plastic bags, but then my, my meat that's wrapped in plastic and, and everything else that's wrapped in plastic <laughs> is perfectly fine to have. So uh, it, it, it's... You're One not, step at a time. You're, you're not saving anything um, or doing... Well, we try to nibble away every year at crime, but should we just throw up our hands and say we can't solve no, nobody crime? Nobody wants a dirty world, and everybody wants to be yeah. clean. Is but it, yeah, government mandating, when I when I when my business is within the city limits of Lawrence that's going to ban plastic bags effective March 1, but my competitor, who's just outside of city limits, can sell plastic bags... How is that fair to me as a business trying to operate and be successful? Yeah, that's a tricky, the business side of it for sure. Yeah, I, yeah, I think there's a lot of environmental groups that have said we have spent way too much time and energy on plastic issues and plastic recycling that we spent time and energy on other things that have a bigger impact on, on the environment. Okay. Well, uh, Alan, the, another element of this regulatory affairs agenda was to try to provide stronger legislative oversight of the executive branch in their rulemaking. And, you know, laws are passed. And then the it's federal system too. The uh, presidential administration, the gubernatorial administration, actually writes some of the detailed rules and regs. Well, heck, you know, couldn't the legislature be more specific when they pass a bill instead of just being lazy yeah, and writing general statements? Yes, absolutely, they can be. But it, you have many times agencies that clearly are going beyond what was intended. I mean, clearly, mm. in my opinion. And then you have to go through a legal process or a regulatory process to get those things fixed, or sometimes threats of a, of a lawsuit. And there's examples of virtually every agency. But yes, the legislature could be more specific, but they can't anticipate every potential crazy right. thing a civil servant might you put decide. things in statutes are harder to just remedy next year with a regulatory, uh, you know, cross that word out. Uh, you got to go to the state house and get a house and send a bill and get it passed. I mean, the, the, right. the fixing a mistake in that kind of regulation is a lot harder if it's in statute as opposed to a reg. Uh, I just do. You, does the chamber view this differently between a Republican and Democrat governor? No. You, would you be? Would, yeah. Are you are you for this because we have a Democrat governor? No, even the opposite. We got something passed under uh, Governor Collier in 2018, um, and some of our strongest advocates were Democrat legislators. Hmm. Uh, but now with a Democratic administration, they don't really want to control or try to provide a stronger oversight to the executive branch. And that, the bill that Eric's talking about, it was requiring some economic impact statements, and Governor Collier at the time said, he, guess who most heavily lobbied him to not sign it? The agencies. The agencies. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, and they're largely not, not following the economic impact statements today, so uh, there might be a bill on that next year. So one of the things the Kansas Chamber wants to see more investment in some of these very large substantive uh, economic development programs the state has, there are various forms that are kind of tax-related. <clears throat> I want to ask about this because you're advocating for expansion of these, but I, I look at these programs and I think if we're going to give some sort of weird development in Johnson County uh, a bunch of money in tax breaks, shouldn't we get an annual report that's very precise, done by a third party, that it tells us where we're at in terms of making that investment work? I'm not saying all these investments have to work. Some are going to be failures. But I think we should Target actually... Economic development incentives. Yeah, L yeah, the incentives got there. I want 100%. an annual report saying plus, minus, how are we doing? This is taxpayer dollars. 
you guys could have a lot of impact on on that kind of reform if you got behind it. Yeah, Representative certainly not oppose that. I think that makes a lot of sense. Representative Christy Williams wanted a transparency bill back in 2017 or 2018. That there were some Uh problems with the details of the bill, but you know, along with our testimony, we said, "Here's how you can fix it." We yeah, we fully support that because at the end of the day, we got to look at our HPIP working peak. Are those programs working? Mm-hmm. If not, get rid of them and let's focus on rate reform or you know some other alternative that might be working better that maybe another state already has. So mm-hmm. we're always open to analyzing uh, and have zero concern if the legislature wants to analyze the effectiveness of economic. Getting back to the state program. agencies, I you know like say the Department of Commerce in Kansas is they monitor and and work these deals out, and I think. And it's Republicans and Democrats. They, neither of them want to pay the piper for a screw-up on an economic development incentive, right? Mm-hmm. And some of the numbers that they throw out there in incentives are jaw-dropping. Hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. And you've, it's like, you've seen some clawbacks. So if, if the company that received the incentive doesn't follow through with the commitment mm-hmm. in terms of the number of jobs or the mm-hmm. dollars that were invested in, in the state of Kansas, then they're, they're held accountable. And, and there have been some clawback yeah, that's in statute. the Department of uh, but, uh, but that's in the end, when, like maybe there's a fight and then there's a negotiation. I want the annual reports so I know where we're at. And I think that's only fair. If a companies and investors are going to take tax dollars, I think they should be Transparent. Senator that's, Tyson's that's, your strongest ally. That's my little speech there. You got, you got my little speech. Uh, let's see. There's On government efficiency, there's an agenda item that says you would oppose uh, public funds being used to bring litigation into pursuit of more public funding. I think that idea has been around with the Kansas Chamber for a while, and a specific uh, example of that would be local public school boards voted to join a large lawsuit that challenged the constitutionality of state funding for K-12 public schools. And repeatedly, the school districts have won those arguments in court. It triggered in pretty substantial increases in public funding. Why would you oppose locally elected school boards from having the opportunity to press the state to meet their constitutional obligations? They're not spending their money. It's all the state money. So one school district sues, another one doesn't. I mean, there's not, mm-hmm. yes, you have the, the 21 mills, but all that goes... It goes back to the state general treasury, so they're not using using their dollars. It's well, it's money local. they have to decide how it's spent in the end, I, I guess, is one way to so look at it. So they want state money, but they don't want state oversight on how the money's spent. That's fair, right? <laughs> well, there's a lot of oversight, state board. Is there? But also, is, there, is there accountability? No, because they oppose it every time anybody tries to put more accountability well, into On this, this point, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah mean, they would definitely everything. oppose that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And yeah. how's that fair? You, we want, they want their cake and eat it, too. We want all your money, but right. we don't want any strings Let's attached. Just carve out I this. want all your economic <laughs> development incentive money, but I don't want any strings attached if I don't follow through with it. How's that, Tim? No, I'll, I'll take the work? strings. I just think this little bit here about while politicians don't want to abide by the Constitution in this little niche... Uh, I think there's a little bit of disagreement in terms of separation of powers. The legislature appropriates, right? It's not the Supreme Court's job to tell the legislature how much to appropriate, which is what they've done in this litigation specific to schools. Well, they approved so certain that's settlements. where there's some heartburn from yeah. legislators okay. in terms of... of Another debatable point. It is. That's All a, right. That's a whole We're on fire now. Podcast. Let's turn to uh, <laughs> another fueled element of your policy agenda, and that's, that's the last area we're going to explore today, and that's energy policy. And, you know, I think Kansas has kind of a, a really expanded into wind. I think there's more interest in solar. There's weirdly a lot of opposition to solar uh, energy facilities at the local level. Uh, but 
you've proposed that Kansas needs to do something to get a handle on electric rates. Mr. Cobb, you want to address this? Yes, and I'd say the recent KCC decision that Evergy agreed to is a good step in that direction. And we have had some of the lowest... Just touch on what that was? Well, it was, it was a... It was an increase in utility rates, but far, far less than what Evergy proposed. And mm -hmm. it, it, it's going to take us a while to get back to competitiveness, but other states are increasing, so it's got to happen over time. But we can say the rates have not increased a lot in the last five, six years. And there's little pieces of legislation that we've been a part of um, that help lower those rates. But I think the concern had been, and frankly, I was surprised at the KCC decision. The concern has been the KCC seemed to go along with what the utilities wanted for the last six, eight, ten years, and why was that? How do you get a stronger KCC? I know I'm talking to the governor's office. Sometimes there's a challenge in getting qualified people that want to be a, a corporate corporation. There's three members of the Kansas Corporation Commission. Yeah. They make about a hundred thousand something a year. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not qualified, but I'd take that salary. Yeah, we've uh, we've we've used to be top third in our cost per kilowatt hour um, in the state of Kansas, and now we're thirty fifth. 30, 32nd around there. I mean, we're in the bottom half and, and it's noticeable. I mean, when we have our members that operate in multiple states and, and we have we have some members that have a Kansas facility and an Oklahoma facility and their monthly energy costs are double what they are in Oklahoma. And, mm -hmm. and we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars. That would drive there. businesses to not locate in Kansas. It's, it's, it's a many, factor. Yeah, it's one of many factors like taxes available mm -hmm. in the workforce. But certainly if you come down, if everything's being equal and we're going to pay twice the utility rate, that certainly... Having talked to companies and talked to folks at the Department of Commerce, so what, that has what, been Why hasn't this been addressed? Is the lobby for the utility companies just that persuasive? They just throw a lot of money around and get people elected? I think it was some... Um, most of the rates, are, they're really set by the KCC. Yeah. What the legislature can do is fairly limited. Hmm. And uh, we're kind of been bouncing around the edges, whether it's um, transmission delivery charges and whether Evergy has to pay income taxes and those kinds of things that were uh, taxes on on some of the uh, the utility bills. So it's really been it's really a corporate corporation commission issue. Kansas Chamber loves government efficiency and these uh, you know these utility monopolies. How about energy efficiency? Uh, why should we have to pay utility companies when people reduce demand for their services? Uh, and I think we have that, uh, at least we've kind of addressed that, but that's a, that's a good point. And actually, yeah. to Evergy's credit, and other utilities, you see billboards, they, you know, come get your energy efficient thermostats, they're, uh -huh. they're actively But that's, it. it's not consistent. It's not consistent. Missouri has better energy efficiency programs than they Kansas. Do. They do. And Scratch my head. But then there's 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 also discrepancies between the public utilities and co-ops and, and others in terms of what I as a customer could receive in terms of a rate benefit if I were to invest in whatever. There's limitations on what I can do on solar for my home. There's limitations on what I can do on solar for my business. Um, but again, there's, there's limitations on the rates and investment. I mean, we had a solar company come to our house uh, right around Thanksgiving, just a door-to-door -door salesman, national company though, and uh, he asked who our provider was. He's like, yeah, I can't help you. You're not on, not on Evergy, uh, so hmm. it's not worth you doing the investment because hmm. the credit that your utility <clears throat> provider will give isn't as good as what Evergy will give. So there's some of that discrepancy there um, that could be addressed, but ultimately, I mean, what we're advocating for on the energy front, it, it's not specific to businesses. It helps all ratepayers, but our, our energy costs all across the board have gotten too high. And so we have to look at what can be done to help get us to a more competitive All right, position. good luck on that one. Alan, I'm going to let you close it out. <clears throat> so when you 
the Kansas Chamber and the State House is an influential lobbying organization. And uh, so when you approach the session, uh, you know, can you, do you want to touch on just a couple of issues in this very broad agenda that uh, if, if a legislator came up to you and said, hey, really, what do you want me to do for you this year? What would be a couple of things that you might say? Well, the easy one would be the what, three or four Republican senators to vote to override the governor's veto on the single rate tax. So that, that, would, be, that okay. would be it. And um, also what comes to mind is some regulatory reform. We didn't really talk about it, but reduce, there are some things called a regulatory sandbox, which would allow the agencies, give them freedom to say, okay, company, you can go kind of experiment. I, mean, I want to be careful with that word in order to make it easier to provide that product or service. So there's two that come up off the top of my head. And Eric may have some others that... Yeah, Eric, go ahead. Yeah, no, I think those are, those are good. I, yeah, definitely a tax bill and, and getting folks uh, hopefully on, on the right side of, of an attempt to, I assume the governor is going to be to a single rate based on her recent comments, but um, yeah. She told me unequivocally she would. But then again, <laughs> When you're making deals in the capital, compromise is the name of the game, lots of it. And so, um, I don't know. I mean, there's certain things she wants the legislature doesn't want to give her. There's certain things the legislature wants that she doesn't want to sign off on. All right, I want to thank our guests today. Thank you, Tim. Thanks. Yeah, uh, Alan Cobb, president of the CEO of the Kansas Chamber, and Eric Stafford, vice president of government affairs and a frequent lobbyist uh, presence in the State House. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you.